Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week on The Big Show, filmmaker, director, and an Academy Award-winning film and television producer Ed Zwick will be our special guest to discuss his latest film, Trial by Fire. And we'll meet the DC Filmmaker of the Month, Miss Falani Africa, and this weekend marks the final episode for the Game of Thrones. We'll take a look back at the checkered principles in Westeros. Plus, we'll have movie news and reviews of this week's films, including John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, and The Sun is Also a Star, all on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. episode of what I refer to simply as The Big Show. I am Film Gordon, a.k.a. Tim Gordon, or maybe it should have been more in reverse, but you get it at home. Welcome to the show. Um, Got a nice one coming up this weekend. Coming up later on, John Wick 3 is in theaters. Cannot wait to talk about this movie. Also, young Yari Shahidi stars in The Sun is Also a Star. Hmm, didn't know that. Uh, listen for both those reviews. Ed Zwick is coming back on the big show. We had Ed Zwick. I got to go and find out how long ago we had him on. But, hey, man, very accomplished director. Uh, glory, courage under fire. He is going to sit down with us a little later on in the show. And as I said, it is time for us to meet the DC Filmmaker of the Month. Miss Falani Africa. You don't want to miss that as well. And also coming up is this little show that uh, has captured the imagination of the American public. May do 2025 million this weekend. Who knows? Game of Thrones. It is episode six. The final episode of Dim Thrones. Hashtag is what people would call it. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Wilson Morales is normally with us at the top of every show. He chose to talk to Gabrielle Union today, so we'll probably get that interview later on. He's not here. So sitting in for him is going to be Charles Kirkland to give us our entertainment news. And we'll have all that and some more stuff coming up later on in the show. But before we get to Charles Kirkland, um, Riding in the day, I had an opportunity to watch one of my uh, favorite shows, which is kind of like my guilty pleasure. It's simply called The Good Fight. For those at home who have never watched The Good Fight, The Good Fight is a spinoff from The Good Wife, which deals with a set of lawyers. And this show, The Good Fight, is about a, a, an African-American firm uh, that Delroy Lindo heads up. Absolutely amazing show. Th- th- this episode which had me laughing out loud at home it was very unexpected it was about a case that they brought before this new judge who had, I don't know what the, uh, the medical condition is, but he had a condition where people talked in close to the mic or rubbed stuff on a microphone. It gave him like pleasure Ew. gratification. It was the craziest thing is they brought in a witness who, talked really low into the mic and combed her hair into the microphone and the judge is like <gasps> are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh so the good fight um, it's on CBS All Access um, something you gotta pay for 
you know, all, I, all you know, I can say is that people in the know that know how to get around these sorts of things. I'm not saying I'm one of them people, but I'm watching all them shows. <laughs> so the good fights on CBS All Access. Leave it alone, Charles. Don't I see you about to don't don't take it there. You know, I stopped there. watching the good wife when uh, they killed off old man, um, her boyfriend or whatever. And I, it, it kind of jumped the shark for me. I never watched the good the good it fight. The shark. It you never so it. so when the good fight was starting, I was like, I'm not gonna watch it. Man, you should have watched it, man. All right. And by the way, for those of you at home who are not familiar, that is Charles Kirkland who just jumped in. Uh, could not wait for his you, cue. You I'm sorry, you introduced me. Did I introduce me? you? Oh, uh, Charles Kirkland joins us he right did, now. Did introduce what's me. going on, Charles? Hey, what's happening, everyone? News and reviews. <laughs> 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 oh, man. All right, so Charles Kirkland, uh, I said that you were sitting in for Wilson Morales. Sitting in is not true. We're going to handle entertainment today. And the top story today. Make it mine. Make it mine. No, nah, man, this is good. Okay. Uh, I, I, this when I first saw this, I went. I don't understand the connection, but then I guess if you're a big enough celebrity, you can make this happen. Chris Rock is working with Lionsgate on the reboot of Saw. Now put those two together. Just you're right. See that look that Shane has. Yeah, it don't compute, <laughs> right? So let me let me tell you what the connection is, which I found to be really interesting. Chris Rock is a huge fan of the Saw franchise. Who isn't? But wait a minute. He saw the first one, scheduled a meeting with the president of Lionsgate and said, hey, man, I got this idea to bring Saw back. He gives them the idea. They love it. He now is the executive producer and gets a story credit on it. I said, man, we live in a great country. I mean, I know the tangerine toddler is in power right now, but we live in a great country (laughs) where celebrities can just roll up and go, like, like, uh, so here's a good example. Imagine me, right, film guy, and I go, man, I am a fan of the 1954 classic On the Waterfront. I would like to reimagine On the Waterfront and do it again. And they go, and I pitch them an idea, and they go, Tim, that's a fantastic idea. And then you see in the trades, Tim Gordon is executive producing uh, the reboot of On the Waterfront. And you'd be like, wait, wait, what? Okay, see, that, Same that's connection. not, that's, no, it's not. Because On the Waterfront is a classic movie. Yeah. Saw's a classic movie in a horror Saw's genre. Saw's a classic franchise, but it can be easily reimagined. You can't, On the on the Waterfront is a one-shot deal. You can't, you can't say, oh, let's... I mean, you could. There are lots of people have redone on the waterfront as on on Broadway and all of that other stuff. But to actually reimagine a classic movie is not that easy. Okay. I'm so just, okay. I, I, I just want to point out one thing, though. Okay, I, I had I had a friend of mine that's, that told me the thing about comedians is they always work from a source of pain, and I, and we see Jordan Peele, and now we see Chris Rock mm-hmm. getting into these horror franchises, thriller franchises, and it's because they have that. Unknown source, source of, of pain, pain right. that drives them, and that and that's what kind of makes it work for a guy to take over a thriller or a horror franchise like that because they have that ability to take the macabre and make it funny. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Charles Kirkland. That was pretty good. Thank you. Now, yes, he did his snaps right. Now, I, before we get away from this, I, I brought up on the waterfront for a purpose. Okay. Right? All right. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this morning, and I was explaining that there are certain defining lines in, in, in art, right? I can't really, I, I wouldn't embarrass myself by trying to kind of distinguish, like, art, painted art. Like, I, I don't know enough about it. It's not my, it's not my kind of lane. Okay. Films, music, theater to a certain extent, television, those are my lanes, Right. I explained to him that in 1954, Marlon Brando won, well, actually in 1955, Marlon Brando mm-hmm. won an Oscar for playing Terry Malloy and on the waterfront in 1954. Right. But, but where it really started was 1951 when he did A Streetcar Named Desire, the Tennessee Williams play right. uh, that they adapted into a film. And prior to 1951, you know, you had leading men in the business like Humphrey Bogart, uh, Spencer Tracy. Uh, Gary Cooper, uh, James Stewart, 
These were actors who acted. They just kind of pretended the roles. They didn't. You didn't really. I mean, for this, for that time, you thought that they were doing a really good job. Marlon Marlon Brando in 1951 just became, you know, first Stanley Kowalski. I mean, then became Terry Malloy. What you're saying is, when you saw Humphrey Bogart, you saw Humphrey Bogart being. Uh, playing a role, playing a role. Maltese Falcon. I mean, it was always Humphrey Bogart, right? Marlon Brando, Brando transformed himself into the character that he was. He was not Marlon Brando in that role. He was not. And um, so we're talking about that kind of transformational yes. acting that occurred with Marlon Brando. Yeah. But but I was explaining to him today why when you watch On the Waterfront now, it is almost like an acting clinic because it's right. not. The, the the lines it was just not the lines that he utters but it's the it's the mannerisms it's the nuance that's in there when other characters are talking to Marlon Brando just watching it it is it is it's funny you think about every great dramatic actor now whether it's Al Pacino whether it's Robert De Niro whether it's Denzel Washington Daniel Day Lewis Edward Norton you name any actor who's really strong dramatically they're doing Brando. And if they tell you they're not doing Brando, watch Brando and then watch all these other guys. It's the same way in stand-up comedy that there was Richard Pryor as the line and then everybody that came after him is doing Richard Pryor. Right. Dave Chappelle is probably the greatest comedian of his generation. He's doing Richard Pryor in a, in a much extent. smarter yeah. way. Yeah. It's the same. I mean, I'm, watch this. I love Dave Chappelle. Let's not take anything away from him. I just watched The Age of Spin a couple of days ago. His spent the first Netflix special he did, mm-hmm. the one that was in L.A. Yeah, yeah. Friggin' brilliant. The, the one where he talks about he met O.J. Simpson four times. Right, right. The, the, the joke construction, and I've said that on this show, the reason why you can't copy Chappelle is because Chappelle's mind just operates at a different level than a Chris Rock, a Kevin Hart, a Cat Williams, or any of these other comedians, right? Um, there's a there's a famous sequence in this in that stand-up comedy where he talks about uh, African-American men going off to fight in World War II and how all of these sexual favors they were getting for, like, pittance. And then he said, you know, they left all these women behind and the women are basically uh, going off into the workforce in ways that they never had before and men were hearing stuff like they they had never heard before, you know, no and, you know, you and <laughs> and all this other stuff. And he talks about how LSD is introduced, you know, as this mind-altering drug that was supposed to initially control people, but it doesn't control people. It expands their minds. And he's going through this kind of 20, 30-year history, and then he says, and in the middle of all of that, Bill Cosby raped 54 women. <laughs> and, it, and, it's good. And, and, I, and I sat at home and it made me laugh. And I went, who thinks that way? Dave Chappelle is a friggin' master. And I, and I say all that to bring it back to Brando and to bring it back to Chris Rock. That Chris Rock is doing a thing that I think is really interesting. And it may be the start of a thing that you'll have. What's the not stop LeBron James by go, from going... Man, I thought Boys in the Hood was great. I think we should do another Boys in the Hood. I think the the what the difference is is that they have to have something to bring to the table. Um, LeBron James may not have you don't, that. You mean a story is uh, not good enough to bring to the table? I I think it's not. Okay. It, I mean because. The, Unless you're Disney, you don't re- remake a movie just to be remaking a movie. You want to do something so that... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at it. Watch this. You do realize that every horror franchise right now has called up Jordan Peele and it's like, yo, you got an idea? He's like, yeah, I'm going to do Candyman. That one's next. <laughs> so it's like Jordan But Peele. it's going to be different. It's oh, not going to be the same thing. Right, which is the exact point I'm making about Chris Rock. He's doing something that's different. Okay. I mean that's great, but I don't think LeBron James is going to be able to do that. I'm, he's doing I Space I Jam. I don't know. Uh, right. My I point. don't know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to us do freestyle riffing. This is why Wilson Morales is on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you guys keep it where you got it. Uh, we'll be right back uh, with more of the big show.
never missing a beat, yeah. Boy, was it neat, yeah. Not just me, she was totally deep when she did the freak with me. Never missing a beat. All right, and uh, welcome back to the show. Um, this is one of my favorite segments that we have on our show every month where we bring in and salute the DC Filmmaker of the Month. This month, I am overjoyed because we have a local hometown uh, hero, I would call her, uh, executive producer, director, cinematographer from DC, not around DC, DC proper. DC proper. It is Fulani Africa. Fulani, how are you, young lady? I'm doing well, Tim. How are you? I'm fantastic. Um, I, I, I'm going to jump right into it because we don't have a lot of time. Let's do it. Let's talk about your upcoming... Now, is it a feature or is it a short? It is a feature documentary. Feature documentary. And what is this documentary called? It is called Maestrina da Favela, which translates to Conductor of the Slum. All right. And what is this documentary about? It follows the life of a percussionist in Salvador Bahia. She started a band when she was eight years old in her favela community, which is a slum, a, a ghetto. And I met her when she was 13, and I started following her journey as a social activist from for 10 years. So I watched her grow from 13 to 23. So... It's a documentary, and right. it's about Afro-Brazilians and the struggle that they go through and how they're using music to uplift their communities. So as a, as a child of D.C., how did you find yourself in a situation where you were interested in telling a story that happens on the other side of the world over in Brazil? Well... Okay, well, <laughs> D.C., right. you know, is filled with um, black people from all over the world. Correct. So I grew up, you know, in a pan-African community where I was exposed to a lot of African descendants. However, I had really never met an Afro-Brazilian until I was in high school. And so she kind of hit me, you know, to Afro-Brazilians. And so when I was in my last year at Howard... I met a study abroad student from Salvador Bahia, hmm. Rosanna, and she invited me to come to her city. And her city is 90% black, like D.C. used to be. So when people invite me, I buy my plane ticket and I go. So I went down there and I fell in love with it because it was a combination of what D.C. used to be when right. it was Chocolate City. Right. Mixed with um, West Africa, because I traveled to Ghana, too. So right. to me, it was like the best of both worlds, you know, mixing D.C., Chocolate City with Africa, and then it's in Salvador, Brazil. So, so good point there. So let's talk a little bit about uh, this thread of when you keep saying what D.C. was. What is there a common theme from your time spent there in Brazil and your time spent here. Is there a common theme other than the ethnicity of the people? Is there a certain spirit? Is there a certain oh, energy? Yeah. So basically what drew me to my the music in my film was it was very similar to Go-Go using a lot of percussion. Oh, okay. cool. So when I heard the beat, I was like, I never heard any music that's similar to Go-Go. So when I went to a lot of the parties, the music is called Samba Reggae. Mm -hmm. So even a lot of the dances were the same. I mean, a lot of braid hairstyles, the mannerisms. I didn't speak Portuguese when I was first going there. So I communicated a lot with body language. So it's just like us in the, on a different continent. Right. So a lot of the cultures were the same. And sometimes um, the African culture was more in depth there because they were able to keep a lot of their cultures and foods and words and religions and traditions, you know, alive. So I really loved it. It was it's, it's like my second home now when I get tired of all of the the new folks and the dogs in D.C. <laughs> I just take me a flight if I want to be around a bunch of chocolate people, you right, know, right. and go to Salvador Bahia. So before you leave, let us talk briefly about being named the, the filmmaker of the month for the month of May. What does that mean to you? I am so honored because, you know, 
with everything happening in D.C., sometimes us local artists is born and raised here. We do a lot of work, but it doesn't feel like we're recognized. You know, the city's moving so fast. It's a lot of transplants coming in. So a lot of the times you look up and it's like, who are these people? So to be from here and to be recognized by my city as the filmmaker of the month is it's an honor. All right. One more time. Tell the people what your upcoming short is. What is it called? My upcoming short. I'm sorry. Your upcoming up- feature documentary. My apologies. I'm always used to talking to folks who have short films. So oh, what, no is the, worries. what is the title of the I, film? I, I, I don't have a title yet, but the okay. upcoming project will be a narrative film about the ODC, DC culture. So I'm sitting with different creatives in DC that was born and raised here and right. it'll be a combination of shared stories, real experiences, but a fictional film. So if it's anyone out there with funds to invest, if you want to be an executive producer on a DC story, then please reach out. All right, sister. Hey, man, don't be a stranger. You're welcome to come back through. You know where we are. I I won't. And the uh, social media handle for my film is at Maestrina da Favela, and it's spelled M-A-E-S-T-R-I-N-A-D-A-F-A-V-E-L-A. All right. You got the last word. Thank you for coming through, young lady. Thank you All so right. much. And congratulations to you this month. Thank month. you. It's All a right. pleasure. All right. And one more time, I want to thank our May Filmmaker of the Month, Miss Velani Africa, for coming through. But now I need to talk to you guys Sunday. It's here. It's Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. years in the making. Game of Thrones, the final episode. We got the music underneath this, right? I'm so excited. Oh, my God, man. (laughs) Game of Thrones, man. For those of you at home keeping score, Charles Kirkland has not watched one episode of Game of Thrones. So he is totally not in the know, which means that we get no contribution from him in this next segment. Um, Let's talk about Game of Thrones, man. When we last saw our superheroes, you ever heard the phrase burning down the house? Uh, Daenerys, Daenerys Targaryen. And her lone dragon burnt down King's Landing. And when Wait a I minute, say should, burned should we, it should, down, should we announce spoilers or anything like that? Okay, stop. You mean there are people going into this final episode who haven't seen episode five? Probably not. Please, probably not. Game of Thrones is <laughs> is, vor- is voraciously consumed <laughs> between nine and midnight every Sunday by everybody. And if it's not consumed on Sunday. By Monday Monday afternoon, they have seen it. (laughs) So I'm telling nobody anything who watches the show that they don't know. All right. She burned King's Landing down to the ground. There was one survivor. And we will see if that survivor is going to make the person that burned the town down not a person who survives the last episode. And that's all I'll leave that there. Area start. Wow. What an episode. Now, now, so here's what we would say, because I've been reading it. I always find it interesting because a lot of times I don't watch Game of Thrones live, right? So I will watch it inside of that three-hour block that I just showed you, 9 to midnight. And I go online, not reading what has happened, but reading the comments of people who are complaining about, man, this doesn't make any sense. You know, this story's not being written. And And I just had this conversation with one of my best friends this morning who was complaining about the show. And I said... Bruh, can we wait until the last episode so we can find out how it ends before y'all start breaking it apart and talking about this side, man? Maybe it all makes sense at the end. I mean, you've told before how something happens in one part of a season, yeah. and then by the time they expound yes. upon it, it makes a perfect sense. It's, it's almost, Give it a it's break, almost guys. like it's watching. It's I'm coming. trying to think of another show. Like, like the last time I thought a show was this kind of dissected. Might have been the Sopranos or The Wire or shows like that. The thing about The Wire, which I loved, the, 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 the change in what's Wire? Okay, you know, you watched The Wire. I watched The Wire. The thing I loved about The Wire is The Wire had a theme every season. So season one was the low risers. Season two was the docks. Season three um, was uh, Hamsterdam. That's when they tried mm, yeah, to, they had yeah. the thing to legalize drugs, which I thought was the best season. 
Season four was, I want to say it was the education season where they had, the, they followed the kids in school in, in Baltimore. And then season five was all about the media. So the thing I loved about that show is that they kept the same characters and they just kind of shifted the focus of what they wanted to deal with. Now the reason why we talk about The Wire and I'm going to go back to Game of Thrones because I'm trying to make a greater, a larger point. Wait. Is on Game and, and um, The Wire. Season three was uh, a season, man, that introduced the plot point about the legalization of drugs and how you can have an area in the city where drugs were legal and you would funnel all of the drug traffic into this one area and then it would make the rest of the city safer. To me, as a guy that didn't live in Baltimore, I was like, makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> but there are ethical and moral questions about, you know, whose neighborhood is it going to be in? We know what neighborhood it won't be in and blah, blah, blah. Now, from a storytelling angle, there were people who complained about that storyline yeah, until yeah. it got to the end and you saw how it all fleshed itself it all, out. It yeah, was resolved. Right. Game of Thrones feels the same way to me. I think my only complaint about Game of Thrones, honestly, this year, is, is that they didn't give me enough Game of Thrones. If you knew you were only going to do six episodes and you had, you usually average about 11 episodes, to me, what would have made more sense is you made six Game of Thrones movies. You could have just had six 90-minute episodes or, or like the last episode should have been like uh, Avengers Endgame. It should have been a three-hour like battle royale on Game of Thrones. We should have saw a dragon burning down a city for about 40 minutes. We should have saw these characters. I mean, you need, for, for what they've done with this show, if you only gonna do six episodes, this should have been six episodes like that. You know, don't be playing around with, uh, we're gonna do an 82 minute episode and then the rest of them gonna be 75. Y'all, y'all sure change the last one to be 90 minutes? I, did not, I don't know. I just I think, I think it's funny because I have correctly predicted not necessarily everything that will happen, but I predicted every episode what they will do. And I told you, or maybe I didn't say it on the air, but I've studied Game of Thrones and I've rewatched it several times. The, the penultimate episode every season is when all hell breaks loose. Now, for those of you at home who are saying, Tim, what the hell are you talking about when you say the penultimate episode? The episode before the season finale every year. So, season one, in the penultimate episode, Ned Stark lost his head. Uh, season three, in the penultimate episode, they had the Red Wedding, where an entire Stark family got killed. <laughs> I'm season, glad I'm not going to watch it now. Oh, well, I'm just saying. Right, well, <laughs> here we go again. What I'm telling you is still not going to spoil it for you because you're it's not going to A, you're not going to remember it, and it's going to be a whole walk up to it and all the other fun stuff. We've had characters poisoned. The other cool thing about Game of Thrones, I just wish I could have made an appearance on the show so I could require a really cool death because that's the that's the cool thing about Game of Thrones. is like not that you die. It's like the half. You got the way you, you do know, it, yeah. Um, who was the guy, Shane Watson show, who was the guy who was just a total total not good person I can't even use the word on the, on the air but he was such an idiot on the show who got eaten by his own dog Ramsey oh my god just a, probably the best death on Game of Thrones what about the mountain crushing a dude's skull remember that one the, the guy he's fighting a duel with this guy named the mountain right and the guy is wearing the mountain now he's got a sword he's like talking smack ah yeah take this but ah and all of a sudden, the mountain just snatched him, grabbed him by his head, and crushed his, his skull like a grape. Like, cool death on Game of Thrones. Um, what about uh, Joffrey, who got poisoned and died in the absolute worst way on the show? Like, throwing up, ah, it was disgusting. Blood out the eye, just, this is ugly. <laughs> I love Game of Thrones. Um, trying to think, any other really cool deaths on this show? Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it was it was me. So look, look, I, have, I have one question. I have one question. Yes. What are you gonna do when it's all over? After Sunday and it's all over, what are you gonna do? Man, Atlanta's coming back, man. We you know it's gonna be the end of Atlanta. <laughs> I'll tease you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, 
you know, we went through this with Mad Men, The Sopranos, Sex in the City. Uh, I didn't go through it with Sex in the City. You know, you know what shows you usually never go through this with? Living single, girlfriend. <laughs> you know, whenever. <laughs> well, it, it, comedies, yeah, they're comedies. Oh, I was like, see, Shane gives Shane us hand like, instructions. You see, I got quiet. I was like, now? Okay. Uh, yeah, so you never you never go through this with a lot of our shows. You go through this, you know. <laughs> like, like I'm still waiting on that Jefferson finale. Um, wait a minute. You know they're doing the, the live-action Jeffersons in like two weeks. No, I'm waiting for the original cast Jefferson finale, okay. which you will never get because never Wheezy's no longer here. And then, and then Wheezy Empire. is short for Louise Jefferson. Don't forget, Empire just got canceled. Didn't get canceled. They give it one more year. It's it's gonna end at the end of season six. The same way that Power was announced, that Power is ending at the end of season six. And but Power was smooth about it. Power invoked some of that what I call that Marvel magic because they was like, "Yo, uh, we got the Power Universe, so we're gonna have two more shows coming out the Power Universe. So that must mean Tasha's gonna move away and get a show. You know, what I mean, so that's a smart thing that shows are doing, but. Game of Thrones. Get back to that real quick before we get out of here. Sunday night, man. I predict that HBO is going to break a streaming record. I think they did like 18 million on, on, or maybe 20 million on like this episode last Sunday. Yeah, they may get 25 million. Because Game of Thrones, man, this is going to be an event on Sunday night, bro. I'm thinking parties, food, people throwing up at home. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> Game of Thrones. The last time we get to hear. Hey, how are you gonna hum the song over top of the song? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. My apologies. <laughs> man, I'm, <laughs> I apologize. Hey man, I'm a Game of Thrones geek. What you want from me? Hey. Nine o'clock Sunday night. Last time ever. Live show, Game of Thrones chain. Sheds a tear. I was going to say, was that a tear? It's a real tear, bro. Wow. All right, man. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back, and it's going to be time to listen to the master of all interviewers. The man himself, Charles Kirkland, sits down with Academy Award-winning director, producer, Edswick. You don't want to miss that. I know I don't want to miss it either. Hey, this is Kiki Lane, and you're listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Film Gordon. Welcome back to The Big Show. I'm Charles Kirkland, and I'm sitting here with um, the man who brought us great movies like Glory, um, Courage Under Fire, um, Blood Diamond, Oscar winner, Edward Zwick. Wonderful to have you on the show. Great to have you here. Thank you for having me. And today we're going to be talking about uh, your latest movie, Trial by Fire, which is the story of uh, Cameron Todd Willingham, who uh, was put on death row in Texas for the murder of his three children. Um, great film. Tell, how did you get involved with this film? I, I read an article that David Grand, one of our great journalists in America, wrote in The New Yorker uh, nine years ago. Wow. And I optioned the rights. It was an amazing story, and the story had in it a kind of uh, categorical description of everything that is wrong with the criminal justice system in America. It had a man who was um, falsely accused. He was, uh, there were um, uh, jailhouse snitches uh, mm -hmm. who uh, exchanged false testimony for uh, uh, reduced sentences. There was 
the withholding of exculpatory evidence by the district attorney. There was, um, he did not have the means because he was poor, so he had a very poor defense. Uh, it literally was something that made me feel enraged mm -hmm. and wondering what I could possibly do. And I realized, well, maybe I could make a movie. Hmm. On the other hand, it also had in it an amazing relationship and a relationship between a woman who actually got involved, uh, not a lawyer, a woman got involved in his case and, and, and did extraordinary things to save him. Right. And their relationship became deeply, deeply meaningful to both of them in the midst of a very, very difficult circumstance. And I thought that was a very interesting combination to, to play in, in the movie. Hmm. Uh, I don't want to give anything away in the movie, mm -hmm. of course, but uh, uh, the case of Mr. Willingham is very well documented. Yeah. And it, it kind of is a, an indictment, maybe, of the maybe the Texas justice system or maybe the it's death more penalty in whole. Certainly the Texas justice system and, 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 and more than that, I think. there's I think it, it, it evokes all sorts of problems um, in, in a system which, if it has problems and there is the possibility of error, how can one ever justify its um, use of the extreme um, measure of, of putting someone to putting death? Putting someone to death, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I didn't explain this to you before, but I have a background. I've spent a number of years working in the criminal justice system. Ah. And I have to say the portrayal of the relationship between uh, Todd and the guard yeah. was a, a very uh, true-to-life portrayal. Yeah. Oh, good. I, I really appreciated that, yeah. that um, after an amount of time, you know... Uh, yeah, a guard, a guard said to me, you got to remember that, that jailers spend their life in prison too. Right. And, and proximity and familiarity has a way of wearing down barriers yeah. and, and, and things, and, and those relationships can be created. I, met a, I spent a lot of time with guards, actually. So tell, tell me a little bit about the research you did for the film. You know, uh, look, we, Elizabeth Gilbert, who, whose story this also is, was available to us and very generous with her time. She gave us her letters with Todd, her correspondence to him and his back to her. So there's already a huge window opening up to wow. their story. Mm -hmm. uh, Todd's family, um, the lawyers in the case, some of them, uh, people from the Innocence Project who've tried to continue to legislate to, 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 um, to, to try to uh, exonerate him. Uh, guards, there's no substitute for actually being in a prison. Yeah. Yeah, and understanding what that sounds like, the sound is something that I was so struck by the the cacophony mm. of voices and of the of the the clanging of of, of those electronic gates and, gates and doors, yeah. um, the smells, the lack of privacy, just so many things you know couldn't be read about; they had to be experienced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Things like that. I think you communicated it very well as as I was going, except for the smells, of course. You could yeah, right, smell yeah. things, yeah. but yeah, the, the sound was authentic. The the, the feel was authentic. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we hear see a lot of movies about death row. What, what, what? How does this one? What do you think? What were you trying to achieve with this? Well, I mean, look, I, I'm not sure I've seen many others myself. I remember Dead Man Walking from about 25 years ago, right. but not don't remember it very well. Um, I I really wanted to get inside one man's personal experience. It wasn't about the system. It wasn't about um, the, uh, the 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 possibility. You know, the, the the depredations of 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 incarceration. It was more about the experience mm -hmm. of this man dealing with such supreme injustice his children were taken from him through accident and he then is put on death row for their murder it's a, it is a job story in that regard but he's not he's not blameless in his life because he's a disreputable person he's done things that are wrong he you know it's not he, it's not a sentimental story because this is a man who is actually trying to work out 
the the notion of karma is he is is this happening to him because of because, because, of, because of what he's done in the past in some way, and so I felt that it was a it was active intellectually active about his conscience and active about his um, his um, rehabilitation mm. even yeah. though he didn't commit this crime there was need to change yeah exactly yeah okay um, you work with uh, Jack O'Connell he's he's a, a great in this movie yeah, yeah. Uh, we've seen him in Money Monster, and also the uh, his his wife in this film was his girlfriend in that. Yeah, movie. Yeah, it was one of those coincidences. They had worked together, although only a couple of scenes. Well, but, right. But but Emily is, Emily Mead is a fantastic actress, and she came in. I didn't know her, and it's before I'd even seen Money Monster. But I just she came in and read for me, and it was like, oh, this actress is so interesting that it, the part could have been so one dimensional. In fact, she gives it a very interesting complexity. I agree because it could have been, like you said, that one note mm-hmm. that she had. But you know, it, it did she did progress? Yeah. As far and everyone in the movie does a, a wonderful job of progressing. It's it's everyone grows. Yeah. And I think that's a wonderful portrait of it's the relationships between uh, 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 Todd and the guard, and Todd and his wife, and Todd and. Emily, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Elizabeth, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, and um, it, how it all evolves over time, and some of it did grow, and some of it didn't grow. That's right. So, yeah. Um, uh, okay, so tell me, what do you think is the you want people to get from this? Well, look, it's not a it's not an issue movie. It's a story about a man and a man's life, and about a man trying to deal with injustice and trying to reconcile it in his mind and in his heart. And we all deal with injustice. Mm -hmm. I think even today in the political universe, we have a more profound sense of injustice. Uh, And I think that, that for it to be a story about how two people can, in the worst of circumstances, create meaning, uh, that meaning is something you set out to either do or not do every day. To, to it's not given you; it's it, it's somehow made and earned. I thought that was a a thing that people will take away. At the same time, they'll be they'll be angry, hmm. and anger is a good thing to rouse in an, an oh, audience yeah. to try to engender any kind of political understanding. I think anytime you come out of a movie and you feel something, I think I think yeah. you've created something yeah. that's very magical. And isn't that why we go to movies? Yeah. We go to movies to, to feel something. And when we weep, we weep for ourselves and we we touch places that we didn't know we had and we see things we didn't know we would relate to. Yeah. So yeah, that's why why you go to movies. And I'm glad you mentioned the political realm because at the end of the movie there's a clip that you've inserted there that speaks directly to the attitude that a yeah. lot of people have toward the death penalty. Yeah, which is that it somehow is a um, uh, a means of, of having a politician seem strong or seem tough, uh, and it's, it, it defies every understanding of what the death penalty does or doesn't do, mm-hmm. that it is not a deterrent that it is merely, in this case, being used as a, a false um, club to try to, to help a politician get votes. And at some point in time, I thought uh, incarceration was about rehabilitation and reintegration, and the death penalty robs everyone of that of those opportunities. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and um, what people involved in criminal justice reform say to me is that until you can deal with the death penalty... At the top of this pyramid, how can you then justify so many other things that need to be done to reform it? Hmm. Very true. Mm-hmm. Very true. Um, there was also a theme running through. Maybe I don't know if it was intentional, but a little bit of uh, alignment of religious ideas with the mm-hmm. political, with the political, and the and the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, because he's initially demonized as somehow being a Satanist. Yeah, yeah, and and he then comes to uh, try to understand, you know, uh, divine uh, providence, providence or apathy. It's mm-hmm. a question that, that, that gets raised. Yeah. 
And so I guess I was drawn to those questions because I thought that, and I knew even as he wrote that he would be. And so they found their way in. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Um, last couple of things. What's, what's next? You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct a pilot for some friends of mine for Netflix. It's called Away with uh, Hilary Swank. Oh, cool. It's about the first woman commander of a space mission. And that's going to be fun. Uh, it's a good story. Um, it's speculative, but pretty imminent, you know. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm writing. All right. And, and uh, so I'm going to hope to keep doing it. Well, we look forward to everything that you're doing. Uh, Thank you. Uh, movies, television, everywhere. You're, you're a phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for taking time with us. You're very welcome. All right. Special thanks go out to Ed Zwick for sitting down with me. Once again, I thank Tim Gordon for allowing me the opportunity to speak with him. We'll be right back on the other side with our final segment. Tim's going to do some movie reviews. Keep it where you got it. We'll be right back. Yeah, this is the story of Fanny's dog. But the dog that chases this tail will be busy. He's a happy dog. Rhythmic dog. Harmonic dog. House dog. Street dog. Dog of the world unite. Dancing dog. To you by the film Gordon.com. Experience film through the eyes of a true film addict, the most selfish man in radio. Check out all our film content at the film Gordon.com. And for those of you at home playing, the most selfish man in radio is Charles Kirkland. All right, this week in film, we've got two movies. Two movies for the first time, I could probably say all spring. I'm actually really excited about both these movies. I'm tingling right now. We're about to hit these. But before we hit these movies, let's cue the music. All righty, up first this week is a wonderful young adult romantic comedy this film of course is called the sun is also a star it is a teen drama directed by rye russo young and written by tracy oliver based on a young adult novel of the same name written by nicola yoon the film stars yara shahidi and charles melton and follows a young couple who fall in love despite one of their families facing deportation let's listen to a clip from the sun is also a star What's with the notebooks? Poems. Poems. What are they about? Wait, let me guess. Love. Not all of them. I don't believe in love. So no magic, no fate, no meant to be. What if I told you I could get you to fall in love with me? Just give me a day. An hour. All righty. So as we start, let me just say going into this that I looked at the trailer of this film and, you know, let's just be honest. I've seen this story told so many times, right? You know, uh, films like Serendipity, uh, same time next year. There's always these films, whether they're YA films, meaning young adult, or whether they're adult dramas, that always deal with these people. Um, there was a Nicole Bahari film um, that came out several years ago that was a nice indie film, same sort of story about her falling in love with a guy from Germany in the same day. Um I went in, as I said, with low expectations, and Yara Shahidi, who has been doing great work on both blackish and grownish, blew me away. She took this story of this, this young guy who meets this woman in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day. He promises her that he's going to make her fall in love with her that day. And she goes, I'm going to give you an hour. He was like, bet, we on. 
Over the course of an hour, much like in Southside with you, we watch these two literally falling in love. There's one sequence in there where it's kind of she's having a dream sequence where she imagines their life like 10, 15 years into the future. That is as sweet as anything you will see on screen this year. Yara Shahidi and Charles Melton's uh, chemistry in this film through the roof, right? They're really great. She elevates herself. This film puts it on her back and does something that I didn't think was possible to make an adult guy who's not the demographic of this film made me care. I really, really enjoyed this film, and I think she is truly the breakout star in the making. Much like her uh, on-screen colleague Mara Mara Masai, is it Masai Martin? Masai Martin. Masai Martin, Masai yes, Martin. Who's, who executive produced and starred in Little... Uh, Kenya Barris has a deep bench over at, on the blackish side. I mean, Tracy Ellis Ross is solid. Uh, Anthony Anderson has done some good work. But Yara Shahidi, man, she has quite a future. I really enjoyed this film. And kind of the twists and turns that the story took, I gave this movie a B. Um, the Sun is also a star is an absolute surprise that I could not wait to get in here and share it with you. If you got some time this weekend, check that out. She is really, really solid. Up next is this week's big film. And of course, that is the third chapter in the John Wick tale, which is called John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. And of course, this neo-noir action thriller stars Keanu Reeves in the title role in the third installment of the John Wick film series. This film is directed by Chaz Tahelski and is based on a story by Derek Kolstein. It stars Halle Berry, Lawrence Fishburne, Mark Dacascos, Asia Kate Dillon, Lance Reddick, Angelica Houston, and Ian McShane. And in the film, ex-hitman John Wick finds himself on the run from legions of assassins after a $14 million contract is put on his head. Let's take a listen to a clip from John Wick 3, Parabellum. You do realize that I'm management now, right? I'm not service anymore, John, so I don't go around shooting people in the head. I'm not asking you to kill anyone. I just need you to get me to him. To who? Your old boss. You want to kill Barada? I'm not going to kill him. I just need to talk. What could he possibly give to you? Guidance. Look, I made a deal when I agreed to run this hotel. And that deal said that I had to follow the rules of the table. If you're not going to kill him, he is going to kill you. And then probably me, too, for walking you up in there. All right. Couldn't wait to talk about this one. Um, John Wick, when we last left our hero, was in the Continental Hotel and had just been told by Winston, played by Ian McShane, that he was to be excommunicado that his name was going to be put on the list, which meant that every assassin out in them streets and around the world was going to be trying to kill the master assassin. This movie picks up literally from that moment in part three. And I will tell you now, if you have to get popcorn, go to the bathroom or do anything, you need to be in your seat early because the first 10 minutes of this movie is probably some of the best action you will see in all of 2019. Absolutely amazing. Now, Let's talk about this movie because John Wick has always been what I call one, or I, I call him one shot slash headshot Wick because that's all he does the entire film. And this movie is basically how many more creative ways can we have John Wick kill people? We've got horses, dogs, uh, there's sword fighting, there's motorcycles, samurai, there's all kind of stuff. And what I will say for people including the one in this room named Charles Kirkland, who talks about this story is horrible. Yeah, it is. But guess what? When I go see John Wick, I'm not really going for story. John Wick is the prototypical popcorn summer movie. I get, I pay my money. It gives me action. There are creative ways that people are getting killed. I was, I went to a screening of this film and I'm, I, I, you know, there used to be a saying, 
I, I go to the bathroom, you not, right? So you fill in the blank, you know what I'm saying? Man, people went crazy in that screening because we was like, ooh, oh, ooh, no, he didn't, ooh. John Wick, three, chapter three, Parabellum, is all that in the bag of popcorn. And as good as John Wick was, when Oscar winner Halle Berry shows up with them two dogs that are trained, I'm not saying a word. To watch them dogs and Halle Berry and John Wick, some dogs, some teeth. And the other thing I will say, because I took uh, somebody really close to me, I, I we need to applaud the stuntmen in uh, John Wick chapter, uh, chapter 3 Parabellum because uh, let's just say the dogs was going for the family jewels and I don't care how much stunt work you do, there is no sense of preparation that gets around that. I could go, ooh, 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 ooh. Great film. I gave John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum a B plus. I tremendously enjoyed this film. And there are times in my profession that I want to be able to do like regular people do and just turn my brain off and just watch a movie. John Wick is designed for me to... It's not going to win the Oscar. It's not going to be in the conversation later in the year. It may not even dethrone Avengers Endgame. Who cares? (laughs) John Wick, Chapter 3. Charles swears that it will, and it probably will on Week 4, but if it came out the same week, Avengers would, no. In Week 4, probably. But this movie is a thrill ride. It's worth it. Keanu Reeves has one note. Right, if you ever watch Keanu Reeves act, if you if you try to get him to do too much emotion, he can't do it. But if you have him play, because basically John Wick in a way is like him playing Neo all over again, just you know in a different setting. It's the same character. He brings the same level of emotion to this that he brought to the Matrix, but it works because it's it's inside the Keanu Reeves wheelhouse. Chapter three, John Wick, Chapter three, Parabellum, a B plus. Easily to me the best movie this week. All right, gang, that's all we got this week. And on behalf of our super producer, the man I call Sugar Shane Lewis, also our associate producer, the most selfish man in radio, Charles Kirkland, and I say that with love. I'm Tim Gordon, and as I tell you guys in closing every week, please see something good at the movies. You heard these reviews, you know what's up, and also remember. Peace out to all my people in Westeros. Game of Thrones, final episode this weekend. Don't miss it. Until next week, we'll see you guys on the other side. Peace. place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.